0: Raise your hand if you have had an experience as a child walking around your home, unable to find your family, and had a moment of panic in which you wondered if they had all been raptured and you had been left behind. I'm raising my hand over here. If you could relate or you have consumed any number of movies about the rapture or the end times. This episode is for you. Theologian and author Dr. Scott McKnight joins us to tell us what we're probably getting wrong in our reading of the book of Revelation. And I can't wait for you to hear his response to my invitation to him that we do a movie night watching one of the Left Behind movies. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith, while untangling it from all that is not good or true. This is the place for you. It's been on your to-do list for a while, and you keep pushing it off for later. Today is a good day to tackle that bullet item. I'm talking about finding a counselor. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by phone or video or chat or text. They are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Before we get into the show, I also want to remind you that the second anniversary of the show is this month, and I would love your help. If you have a question you would like for me to answer on the show, go to untangledfaithpodcast.com slash anniversary, and there's a form you can fill out that sends your question to me. There's a link in the show notes if you need one. This is the third time Scott McKnight has been on the Untangled Faith podcast, but the first time in which we get to do a deep dive into a book of the Bible. Scott makes this accessible, informative, and fun. By the time we're done, I think you'll be eager to read Scott's new book, Revelation for the Rest of Us, a prophetic call to follow Jesus as a dissident disciple, and read the book of Revelation with a new lens. I also want to give you a heads up that Dr. McKnight and I keep talking in some bonus audio I'm sharing with the Patreon community. I would love for you to listen to that, to join us on Patreon and access that conversation, as well as a lot of other bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash untangled faith. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Here's my conversation with Dr. Scott McKnight. I'm sitting here underlining all the things in this book here Revelation for the rest of us. I've got Good. tabs and I have some questions. But in talking with a friend last night, I realized that there is a lot of terms thrown out when it comes to revelation and how people interpret it. Can you tell me what dispensationalism is? I would love to hear what is dispensationalism. I, there's just a lot of terms when it comes to yes. prophetic literature and Especially when it comes to talking about ideas about is this about the end of the world? What is dispensationalism?
1: Yeah, yeah it, it is. It is so true, Amy, that uh, it has its own lore of words and terms, and and people can sling them around, uh, and it, it can get confusing fast. Dispensationalism is an approach to the Bible that classically sort of divided the bible up in, into describing like seven periods of history the last of course being eternity okay. kingdom of god of course that's not how they defined it and one of the big distinctions in classic dispensationalism this explains almost everything
0: <laughs> okay and it's
1: surprising it's surprising how often it comes up how rarely it comes up but once you understand it and see it you cannot unsee it all okay. the time and that is that god dealt with israel until, in a sense, Israel rejects Jesus, and then Jesus turns to the Gentiles, or God turns to the Gentiles, and we have the church. So God was dealing with Israel, then he dealt with the church, and in the future, through the tribulation, God will deal with Israel again, and the millennium is all about, in this classic understanding, Mm -hmm. is all about Jews or Israelites in the people of God. Okay, And then the other distinction is the Israel is designed for the earthly display of God's glory and the church is designed for the heavenly display of God's glory. Now, that's not the way a lot of people will define it. But those are the I think the big categories okay. that really help explain what's going on. So right now we're in a church age. So Israel is not the focus of God's sal- saving work in the world today. The church is. But it's not that God wants to ignore Israel. God will always bring in Israelites who believe. But then in the future, God will once more resume work with Israel after the rapture, where the church is lifted up to a heavenly reality.
0: If you are like me, you have been in conversations about end times theology, where different terms were thrown out, and you nodded as if you understood them. One of those words is dispensationalism. And I have not understood what that meant for ever until I sat down with Dr. McKnight, asked him to clarify that, and did a little more reading online. So here's my understanding from Dr. McKnight's definition, as well as a little help from Google, Wikipedia, and other sources. If you are wondering what dispensationalism is, here is a layperson's summary. (laughs) Dispensationalism is a theological approach to interpreting the Bible that's relatively new, and dispensationalists generally maintain beliefs in premillennialism, there's another term, but that's the belief that Jesus will physically return to earth, which is the second coming, before the millennium, another term heralding a literal thousand-year golden age of peace. Pre-millennialism is based upon a literal interpretation of Revelation 20, verses 1-6, through 6, which describes Jesus' reign in a period of a thousand years, a future restoration of Israel, and a rapture that will happen before the second coming, generally seen as happening before the tribulation. Thank you, Wikipedia and Dr. Scott McKnight. So combine that definition with the explanation from Dr. McKnight about the understanding of dispensationalists, about the role of Israel, and then a church age that is different than the nation of Israel, and then God's focus on Israel again later. So these two things together should give you a better understanding the next time you hear the word dispensationalism. And here's a bonus definition for you, because you will hear this term thrown around a lot in these sorts of conversations. Eschatology. Eschatology is the theology that is concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind. That's the dictionary definition. But a more simple way of stating it is to say eschatology is the study of what scripture teaches about the end times. You're welcome.
1: I think that the dispensational approach is wrong and wrong-headed. And I think it really hurts the book.
0: I think that's a really important thing because I would love to hear, like, is this something that has been, has dispensationalism been something that is been held by the church for a long, long time? And, you know, everybody agreed on this, not just in the 60s, 70s, 80s 90s oh, like, yes. like okay where, where, is it newer and like how does this relate to how you refer to like speculative readings yeah. of the these scriptures
1: the vast majority of church thinkers you know we're not talking just about lay people yeah but we're talking about theologians and pastors and scholars let's say in the history of the church have never believed dispensationalism the vast majority
0: Important it point. really
1: doesn't arise until, now there's a brand new book on this by Daniel Hummel called The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism, okay. which is no small pun on Mark <laughs> Driscoll, <laughs> yeah. uh, just out, and I'm, I'm talking about it on my sub stack now. It really arose in Ireland, uh, say 125, 30 years, 40 years ago.
0: Fathers and thinkers, it is really a very new idea.
1: It's very new. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that everything in dispensationalism is as new as that. But, I mean, there have been people who believed in a rapture and stuff mm-hmm. like that before. Yeah. that. But by and large, there's, the system of dispensationalism is mostly a 20th century phenomenon. Yeah. And, um, and it is a peculiar brand of reading the Bible that has a whole lot to do with Americanism. Mm-hmm. As well, so it's very connected to American politics, mm-hmm. uh, though even though it arose in Ireland, which it didn't have that same politic, but it did yeah. have anti uh, Church of England politic in it, mm-hmm. and that means anti, you know, Ireland, you know, the uh, not the Republic, but whatever. Uh, it it was against certain systems that were connected to politics. But when it came to the United States, it morphed into a much stronger political understanding of America and its role in the world and its place in the world powers, and that we are on the side of Israel, and therefore God's on our side, and therefore God's against those godless Mm -hmm. Europeans who are forming the so-called European Union. And Amy, here's the funny thing. All these people believed that this was going to happen within a generation after, after Israel was reborn as a state in 1948. Yeah. And they are all wrong. Mention that. I often like, tell my students We're dis- still here. Yeah, and that's wrong. right. I, I tell my students all the time, what's wrong with dispensationalism is everybody who's done any predicting has been wrong. And that yeah. ought to teach us a big lesson.
0: Yeah, I was just telling, I just interviewed Sarah Billups, who wrote the book Orphaned Believers. Yeah, and, I read her book. Yeah, and she talks about one of the major influences on, you know, white American evangelicalism in the 80s and 90s was this obsession with the end times. And yeah. I had said, I remember my parents getting this book. I think it was like 86 or 87 reasons why Christ is returning. Yes. In yeah. John
1: Walvoord. John I
0: looked it up on like Amazon. You can't even really find it. Anymore. Yeah. It's probably you probably find one for like a thousand dollars somewhere. 88
1: reasons, maybe yeah. John Wolver. Yeah. yeah. I
0: read that book, Scott, and I was like, oh no, like I need to be ready. And like in the, in the, in the explanation of like no one knows the day or time was like, well, we've narrowed it down to three days yeah, in September, that's right. right? That's
1: right. Yes. <laughs> that's so true. Right it's there. one of those three we,
0: days. And I'm not exactly we don't sure not know. He... we
1: don't know the day or time, but we're pretty sure we do. Yes. <laughs>
0: um Here's something that you've you've used a term that I was not familiar with, but I'm sure is something you did not make up. Speculative reading of these uh, of this genre of of scripture, referring to it as speculative, that is fascinating. So, what is the problem with speculative reading of Revelation?
1: Yeah, I call it speculation because it's speculation, and here's the here's the way to summarize this. Some people, the speculators, I call them, read the book of Revelation to see who in the modern world is doing what in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So, They got the
0: Revelation, they got their Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other.
1: Yes, yes. You know, that's from Karl Barth, who was hardly a speculator. Yeah. But uh, here's the thing. They saw Putin invade Ukraine. Mm Mm-hmm. And they wondered if he might be the Antichrist. Now, that question right there is the important is a revealing element of the speculation approach. It asks the question: Who in the modern world, Putin, is doing what in the Book of Revelation? Let's say the beast out mm-hmm. of the land. Yeah. Um, he's not the dragon. Okay, the dragon is the is Satan. All right, so. Is is this the Antichrist? Is that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, and I would say this, they fail because they want to know if the book of Revelation is predicting Putin. They could succeed if they would say, does Putin correspond to characteristics of the dragon's empire in the book of Revelation? Yeah. Yes, in some way. So does China and so does Joseph Biden, and so does Donald Trump, and so does Barack Obama, corresponds to these things when they start using their powers yeah. in ways that are corrupting. So yeah. instead of predicting someone, the book of Revelation gives us sort of a a template, an opportunity to discern the presence of Babylon, or the way of Rome in the first century, the presence of Babylon, the presence of the dragon, the presence of the wild things or the beasts. In our world today and they fail because they make it speculation rather than discernment of political corruption in our world today
0: yeah um you talk about so the the subtitle of the book is like a prophetic call to follow jesus as dissident disciple as a dissident disciple and if i haven't read the book i'm thinking well i have seen i've read left behind (laughs) <laughs> I saw people in the knife and I'm really confused, Scott, like where does being a dissident disciple come in? And my understanding is that you're arguing for a different reading of Revelation. And how does that relate to being a dissident disciple?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm offering a, a quite different interpretation of that. And this is one of the telltale signs, Amy, of discerning, um, let's say, what kind of reading we're talking about when we get into conversation with someone, if they're a speculation-type approach, they will not perceive the nature of the Christian life that is taught in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. They will see it as something that has nothing to do with them. Rather, it is something that will occur in the future, in the tribulation, and they will be raptured. Now, some people are post-trib, they have a little bit more difficult time. They realize they're going to go through the difficult times. Uh, they're going to go through the tribulation. I remember I had a friend at one time, and he knew it. He, he was really obsessed with prophecy, and he was very much a speculation, pre-tribber guy, dispensational. And he he used the terms, and he was good-natured about it. But he'd always say, well, you can go through the tribulation, but I'm not God. <laughs> well, for those who are in the speculation approach, the Christian life tends to be minimized in the Book of Revelation mm-hmm. because they see everything is in the future rather than the present. Mm-hmm. For those who approach it uh, as the way I do, uh, and I'm not hardly alone. I'm not alone here. Michael Gorman is, has written a book very much like this. Yeah. lots of people have. Um, I think it is about it's a manual of discipleship of how to live as a follower of Jesus, who is the lion, lion who has become the lamb, mm-hmm. how, to, how to walk in the way of the lamb when the way of Rome or the way of Babylon is the ruling empire of the day. Yeah. So it's sort of like a person who works at a very corrupted business and says, how do I live as a Christian in this world where if I tell the truth, I'll get fired? Or mm-hmm. if I don't, You know, if I uh, don't cook the books, I'll get fired. Or if I don't join in all the parties and all the whatever, then I will lose. That's that's sort of what the book of Revelation is, how to live when the empire is the ruling culture in your environment.
0: Yeah. Thank you for explaining that, because and then I also just want to mention for my listeners, like this isn't just Dr. McKnight saying, I have an idea that maybe this is what it's about. Um, there are a lot of people that have studied revelation and different genres of literature that are part of our scripture. And so this is not Scott is not the only one. <laughs> Scott is yeah. not the only one who's saying this. And if you read the book, he gives credit and you have a whole reading list. There's a whole of other places for you to get distracted and, and read their work. And now for a quick break. playoffs are near, and you know what that means, Alex? Yep. Flippin' Bats will be staying up late and having all the fun. From breaking down the most important stories and games, nobody's done what he's doing. Nobody. Not even Babe Ruth. To interviewing baseball's biggest stars. I felt like I was pitching more stress. I was trying to be so perfect. No one covers America's pastime like us. So as we sprint towards this year's World Series on Fox, please make sure to listen, follow, and subscribe to Flippin' Baths with Ben Verlander and me, Alex Curry. Baseball is fun, and so are we. We're
1: going to have fun, dang it! We'll talk to you soon.
0: Now back to the show. But I think it is very fascinating that if we get caught up in the dispensationalist um, speculative reading is that it takes a responsibility off of us, really? can yeah, you talk yeah. about how that really is a failure of discipleship when we as churches focus on this uh, focus on this in this way that is speculative. Talk to me yeah. about that discipleship failure
1: yeah um, okay.
0: Uh, in the a book of there. revelation
1: yeah. in the in the book of revelation the seven churches of Western Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Some of those cities are lively, like Smyrna is Izmir, and that's a huge city today. Uh, Ephesus is a smaller city, but uh, it was the big city in the first century. The, the whole book is written for those churches, all right? And um, they, are, they are given, let's say, a roadmap of how to journey in the Roman Empire, as followers of Jesus. And I like to say it can be reduced to three W's. Mm -hmm. The big one, the first W, is to walk in the way of the Lamb. So study the picture of, of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And we are called to follow him. And he, of course, is the Lamb who was slaughtered who was raised, and who will conquer through the word of his mouth and will be the Lord of the new Jerusalem. So that's sort of the journey of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. The second W is to be a witness. Mm-hmm. And a witness in the book of Revelation has two major elements. The first, a, a witness in general is someone who testifies or witnesses to something that they saw or heard. So a witness is someone, let's say, who was outside when the tree fell down. Mm-hmm. And they can come in and say, I was there, and I saw the tree land on on the neighbor's car. Okay? That's a witness. In the first century, they are people who have a testimony, a witness, of their own relationship to Jesus. And they were being challenged to, to, uh, let's say, use their mouth to become a verbal witness Mm. to what they had experienced with Jesus. The second side of the word witness in in the book of Revelation is that it is an embodied witness. Mm. Their life testifies that they are walking in the way of the Lamb with others who are witnesses. So, in the book of Revelation, the word witness is the Greek word martureo or martus, and the word martus uh, sounds close enough that it becomes the word martyr. And so, in other words, they embody their in their life a witness to the way of the Lamb, and they give their life like the Lamb at times. They die because mm. they are witnesses. They are They give a testimony of Jesus by their life. So the first W is to walk in the way of the Lamb. That's sort of like two W's in that first one. The word walk is being ignored. The way of the Lamb, (laughs) witness. And the third is worship. There are a number of songs in the book of Revelation, and scholars kind of dispute how many songs there actually are. And you can get into the weeds about this discussion and probably never get out of the weeds because it's very difficult at times to detect some of these little snippets that might be lines in songs. But there are like eight major songs in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. or we call them sometimes hymns. And this is this is a really fascinating part of the book of Revelation that I think is ignored by a lot of people who are reading it, especially by those who are trying to figure out if Putin is the Antichrist or, you know, when I was in college, it was Gorbachev because he had a birthmark on his head. I and that was the that. mark of the beast. I
0: wasn't in college, but I remember. I remember yes. it again.
1: Oh, yes. All right. So um, in these songs are, remember, these are a beleaguered minority of, of people in Western Asia Minor. Mm, okay. Under the thumb of the Roman Empire, if they begin to act out and if they begin to resist and not attend events and not participate in the standard civil religion of the first century. So they gather together and they sing these songs, and over and over these songs are about the sovereignty of God Mm -hmm. and that Jesus, the Lamb, is the true ruler of the world. So these songs become sort of behind-closed-door acts of subversion, resistance, and it makes them dissident, disciples of the way of Rome in, in their personal lives and in their corporate lives as believers in the church. So they, um, these songs are very much, and I, I learned this from an African-American New Testament scholar with a brilliant commentary on Revelation named Brian Blount, but he also has a wonderful accessible book, uh, and it's sort of like mine, but his is, comes at quite a bit different angles at times it's called can i get a can i have a witness or can i get a witness it's okay. a wonderful little book very readable he taught me in his writing that the book of Re- the songs in the book of revelation are like <clears throat> what we used to call negro spirituals which are called spirituals today and they were songs that were acts of subversion by the enslaved of mm-hmm. america they sang these songs and their masters thought they were being Christian, and when the doors were closed, they were snickering like, we just sabotaged their whole world. Yeah, And uh, so he taught me this, and I believe that's the best angle I've ever seen on these songs in the book of Revelation. Yes, the believers learn. They learn theology. They worship God in the songs, but these songs carry a message that is resisting the way of Rome, and it is giving them the courage to be dissident disciples who, when their lives or words are on the line before, let's say, others who don't believe them, don't believe in Jesus, when their lives are on the line, they stand up because they've sung these songs, and it's given them a completely different imagination for the world.
0: That's uh, that's beautiful. I love that. You say in your book, and you know, I, or maybe you were quoting somebody else, but I wrote this down. Um, revelation is a timeless message, not just for a specific time.
1: Yes, yes, it's Tell time. Me about that. My um the publisher, Zonderman Reflective, right? Zonderman reflective. Mm-hmm. Um, for influencers. right? Sent out the book with some stuff inside of it. They were pretty cool stuff. And along with it, they sent out a leather keychain that had on the leather keychain, and I have one, I don't have it in my pocket now, that says, Babylon is timeless. Wow. And uh, I just love, I thought, I cannot believe they, that's that, nothing could express the message of the book better than that. Well, um, the book is timely because it spoke in the first century to believers in Western Asia Minor about how to live in the Roman Empire. And it wasn't just Rome. There was a lot of stuff in Ephesus, and Laodicea and Smyrna that they had to deal with. But it was timely for them. But because Babylon is so plastic in its meaning, and so, so, uh, so much of a metaphor and an image. It becomes a timeless book. It gives us categories to discern the presence of Babylon in our world today. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm amazed by the beauty of the book of Revelation for its capacity to teach you and me how to discern the presence of Babylon in our world yeah. today.
0: Yeah, you talked about in, in your book of Of how you went to see Hamilton and you were looking at a playbill, you know, you wanted to know who Mm -hmm. all the characters were. There's an explanation of who they are, you know, what their importance is in the story. And you said, it's really important when you approach reading a book like Revelation is that you know who the characters are. And so there are a lot of characters in Revelation. So I'm not going to ask you to mention them all, but like, what are some of the main ones and maybe ones that we misunderstand? yeah who that character is true it is true put ourselves into the story of revelation
1: um you know an author never stops working so something (laughs) triggered my my mind when i saw the playbill at hamilton
0: yeah
1: um and i thought yeah well at the time i'd read dave matthewson's book on revelation and he went through the major actors or something like that the major Mm -hmm. figures yeah and I thought of it. Well, it's sort of like a playbill. All right. So, I uh, one of my students um, liked an expression that I used, and then he started using it all the time. So I captured it. Team Dragon and Team Lamb are the I like two
0: that. Yeah. are
1: the two sides in the Book of Revelation. And Team Dragon has Babylon. The dragon is the is the key thing. The dragon is you know is uh, is you know has a mission of accusation, deceit, and death, All right, also known as Satan and the devil, the dragon. So, yeah. But it has a different image when you call it the dragon. And then there's the wild thing from the sea and the wild thing from the earth. And these are um, embodiments in political power of the dragon's way that is taking root in Rome or Babylon, as mm-hmm. the book of Revelation calls Rome. And then, of course, there is six, 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 and that's Nero. And anybody who tells you otherwise is probably <laughs> needs to stop and think about it more carefully. So Team yes. Lamb, Team Lamb, of course, has God, the seven spirits, the Lamb, which is Jesus. But it has allegiant witnesses, and these are those who who remain faithful to Jesus in this world. One of the great images, on the playbill of team lamb is the woman of revelation chapter 12. And I think that this, um, this illustrates the way we have to learn to read the book of revelation. People who are more on the speculative side want to know who is this woman. And they want to lock down on a single person. But as you read revelation 12 and I've, I do this with my students. We just read revelation 12 aloud. And I say, now you just tell me who this sounds like. And it starts out and you go, well, with 12 stars, that sort of sounds like Israel. Yeah, it's uh, it's Israel. Then all of a sudden, this woman gives birth to a son who's going to rule. And you go, eh, that has got to be Mary. All right. It sounds like Mary. It's like an individual person because the individual person didn't uh, leave and and then the third, by the time that we're done, it sounds like the church. That is the sort of um, way of reading Revelation is instead of locking down on a single interpretation mm-hmm. yeah. or referent, I think it's wise just to let that text take you where it goes. And if it suggests this is so imaginative and so full of imagery that, um, that you can't lock down on single interpretations and think you've got it figured out. It, if if it sounds like Israel, it probably is. If it yeah. sounds like Mary, it probably is. So why does it have to be one? It's like going to the to the Broadway play. I think it's Broadway. I don't know. Called Hamilton.
0: <laughs> yes, and saying yes.
1: what's the basic message? You got really is that what there's, we're there's well, we there's more than one going?
0: message, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. There's different characters and. What did you see with King George? What did you hear? Well, it was King George hilarious. will be
0: back. He's going to be back. That's
1: right. That's right. He <laughs> says we'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> you wait and see. Yes. And uh, you know Alexander Hamilton. What does he stand for? Well, that's not the point. Uh, there, they made use of these characters in American history to make connections to human life and to American history and to current politics, and it was it was brilliant but that's what artistic performance does and that's what the book of revelation is it's like a drama yeah it's like uh, it's like fiction and i i tell my students and audiences all the time read the book of revelation the way you read the chronicles of narnia the lord of the rings harry potter though i've never read harry potter where the wild things are by morris sendak yeah and literature like that and don't get lost in literal interpretations. Let the story be what it is yeah. and rejoice in the fact that justice is going to come about and the evil empire is going to be defeated. That's that's the message. Yeah. It's not a message about who is doing what in the book of Revelation. So, all yeah, right. If,
0: if you were going to write Revelation for dummies, that's it right there.
1: That's it. What... Yeah. That's right. did you ever no, consider here's, that title here's the best, yeah no but here's <laughs> the best no I didn't because that's actually copyrighted but here's Probably, the best yeah, way right of it. describing revelation for dummies I learned it from Randy Harris who teaches at Abilene Christian University it is God's team wins choose your team don't be stupid that's revelation for dummies <laughs>
0: mic drop for, what else do we yeah, need
1: that's, that's right <laughs>
0: You, I keep being reminded. So I have your book here on the desk, on my desk, but right underneath it, I have this book here. Look at those words, the way of the yes. dragon or the way of the yeah. lamb. What a nice companion Yeah. to, I've been going through this as a, as a, as a book club with my, some of my listeners and well, it came out 2000, it came out before everything fell apart in like 2016, 17, but it's Jamin Gogan and Kyle Strobel. You've read it where they, they talk to some of the sages in uh, Christendom about people, people that have chosen the way of the lamb. Um, And the title is actually comes from something from Eugene Peterson. Um, Let me look at it real quick.
1: Um oh he's got a great book on Revelation. Yeah,
0: where he says, We choose, we follow the dragon and his beasts along the parade route, conspicuous with the worship of splendid images, elaborated in mysterious symbols, fond of statistics, taking on whatever role is necessary to make a good show and get the applause of crowds in order to get access to power and become self-important. Or we follow the lamb along a farmyard route, worshiping the invisible, listening to the foolishness of preaching practicing a holy life that involves heroically difficult acts that no one will ever notice in order to become simply our eternal selves in an eternal city. Yeah. So that's that's... where they got the title from. Yeah. And they had interviewed a lot of these people that had followed the way of the lamb. I think we can understand when you say something like team lamb. Hmm. Yeah. 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 That's what we need to be about. And that this time, while this was a letter to specific churches, just like so much else that's in scripture. we then say what does what does this mean for how we should live? and you talk about that in your book like how should we live in light mm-hmm. of this that we are learning? Um, yeah. you say, um, let's see, I had written down something um, oh before we get to that, I want to say um, a lot of people get ta- get caught up in millennium. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes.
0: And what they're pre-millennial, a-millennial, post-millennial, you argue in the book, you say the millennium at best is a sideshow. Tell me about that. Why is that not the big deal? It (laughs) seems to be the big deal in dispensationalists.
1: Yes, in fact, you're right in this sense that a lot of people categorize their personal eschatologies, their eschatology on the millennium. Are they pre-millennial? And that means that Jesus will return before the millennium. Are they amillennial? And that basically, that's an unfortunate term. Um, that doesn't mean, ah means there is no millennium. Yeah. What they mean is there's no 1,000-year millennium in the future. They believe in a metaphorical yeah. or spiritual, in a sense, millennium that uh, is sort of the church age. And then there's postmillennial. Which is what Jonathan Edwards and the Puritans were, and that is we will usher in the millennium by Christianizing uh, the, let's say, the nation or the world. Sure. Um, Richard Baucom is m- maybe well, he's definitely in the top five scholars in the world on the Book of Revelation. Um, Scottish, he's a retired professor, and he's he's brilliant. Richard Bauckham has some sections on the millennium that are just stunningly clear and completely compelling. I don't know when I first encountered what Bauckham said, but I know in re- in writing this book with Cody that uh, I reread all of Bauckham's or his two major books on Revelation. And he said something like this, and this is the way to put it. Almost everything taught today about the millennium is not in the one passage about the millennium in the Bible in Revelation chapter 20. Oops. And almost everything taught in Revelation 20 is not in what people talk about in the millennium today. So the the dispensational approach to the millennium and the post-millennial interpretation of the millennium are fabrications created on the basis of all kinds of passages that have almost nothing to do with what is said actually in Revelation chapter twenty, wow. and I think that's very sad. the 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 struggle is it's very difficult to know in the when this is going to be, if it's a predictive prophecy of some kind of one thousand year reign. It just doesn't fit anything that's there. Just has to be like a yeah. huge silence for a thousand years, and are people going to die and? Um, and but i think the dispensational and the postmillennial interpretations of the millennium are fabrications based on a series of ideas that don't fit what the bible actually says about the millennium
0: yeah and it distracts so how's
1: that oh yeah. yes it's, a we, side it's like an
0: outsized it's an outsized <laughs> focus when yeah. really you're saying yeah you look at the whole book and all this is here that it's it doesn't make sense that all the focus would be there um, That's right. I I wrote this down you argue that Babylon is a timeless trope for empires and nations and powers that systematize injustice oppress the people of god and suppress the truths of liberation how can we recognize the influence of babylon all around us it sounds sort of familiar
1: well yes and uh Cody my grad, my uh co-author here he he has he did all those charts and i wanted to have something that could be almost movable but there isn't such a thing for a book but yeah. if you see if you have a a time uh, let's say a chart with a vertical line and you have a chart with a horizontal line and the horizontal line is is the history of the world from jesus till the end um Jesus is on Team Lamb, and he's ruling, and at the bottom, he's at the top, and at the bottom is Team Dragon, with with Babylon is its manifestation, and New Jerusalem is sort of the manifestation of Team Lamb. the, The vertical line moves through history as we move along. It's always present. The rule of the Lamb and the attempts of the dragon to subvert the rule of the Lamb are always with us. Babylon is a timeless image for the embodiment of the way of the dragon in the political powers of the day. So, that's a thumbnail sketch. Yeah. I wish I had that on. I wish I had that written out because I liked what I just said there. <laughs> well, I've never described I, it quite that. Yeah. So it's, it's just a. If we just imagine. And, you know, I'm showing you because we have video here. Yeah. If you just imagine that, uh, that uh, Team Dragon and Team Lamb are moving through history. We can see uh, that they're always present. That's the idea of Babylon. It's a timeless trope of tyranny and oppression.
0: There is one thing close to the end of your book that I thought was so powerful. I'm going to read this. You said, the church has lost its voice because it has lost its eschatology. And then he said, if we were preaching or lecturing right now, we'd slow down the pace. This is on page 232, pausing to grab your attention, and we'd say this to you. We need discipleship. That's what we need. We need political discipleship. That's what we need. Now a third sentence a little slower and a little lower what we need is a manifesto for dissident discipleship what is that scott what is the manifesto well,
1: yeah and i and we i sort of that's the last chapter isn't yeah. it um i would say that the the manifesto is for us to become discipled into what, this sounds like Michael Gorman, a theopolitical discipleship, a discipleship that understands the politics of God in the world, all right? And that is that we are to follow the Lamb, and we are not to follow the way of the dragon. And the way of the dragon is present in every nation in the world, even in the United States. And where it doesn't live up to what God wants the disciple of Jesus needs to discern that and speak against it so we pray we fellowship with one another we discern powers we resist the powers when they are corrupted and moving against that we fight against militarism etc all these things that characterize Rome in the first century they are they oppress the truth they silence voices all these things are characteristic of Rome in the first century, of Babylon, and we need to have a, <clears throat> a kind of discipleship that teaches us to discern this pre- as it's present in our world so that we can live in the way of the lamb rather than the way of the dragon.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. I have a really important question for you. Yes. Brace yourself. What's your favorite End Times movie?
1: You know, I haven't watched one since I was in high school, so Good. I'm in a little bit of trouble. Yes, you need to have, have a movie night. Oh, is there? Are there Left Behind movies? They made the
0: Left Behind books into several movies.
1: Okay. Um
0: Thief well, in the Night. Seen... A pretty classic one. Pretty classic. Thief, oh,
1: yeah, I watched Thief in the Night uh, oh. in in high school, I believe. Maybe I was in college and uh but i haven't seen any of the others um and those those movies are all based on speculation yeah. and sort of fear-mongering to try to get people to wonder if maybe they're in the last times mm-hmm. and they better shape up or they're going to get left in the tribulation and it's going to be hell for them and they don't want to be there so they follow you know they decide to accept jesus in their heart i think that's uh a manipulation of the book of Revelation in the wrong yeah. direction. So, so you don't want
0: to do a movie night with beef in the night. Is that what you're telling me?
1: No, I'm telling you, I'm not <laughs> going to do that.
0: Unequivocally.
1: I would put in my earplugs and I would read a book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I am so thankful for your time. This has been yes. a wonderful conversation. I encourage everyone to pick up Scott's new book. It is so, it's so good. If you have a pro, if you have been like just sort of disenchanted with ideas of looking at revelation. I just want to ask you to try again, maybe yes. with a less speculative approach. This yeah. this book really is revelation for the rest of us. Those of us that really want to grapple with it in a way that doesn't make us feel like we're just trying to escape and make sure we have checked off the box that we are on the right side that gets whisked away
1: that's and right.
0: aren't here for uh, all of the guillotines and whatnot that have been uh, speculated about in media for some time. So thank you, Scott. I really appreciate this.
1: I'm you're gonna so to right about are if, if people are kind of scared off by the book of Revelation, this is a completely... This is what my yeah. students who were scared off have said. This is so fun. I'm really glad to do this. I didn't know there was another way to read the book. So...
0: In case you didn't have a chance to absorb this or write this down when you were listening, I wanted to share this quote from the episode again because it's a summary of the book of Revelation in a few succinct words. The rule of the lamb and the attempts of the dragon to subvert the rule of the lamb are always with us. Babylon is a timeless image for the embodiment of the way of the dragon in the political powers of the day. I would love to hear about your experience with reading Revelation through that lens if it's new to you. To hear the rest of my conversation with Scott, join me on Patreon. You can access that conversation as well as a lot of other bonus content at patreon.com slash untangledfaith. I also want to give you one final reminder here that next week's episode will be a celebration of the second anniversary of the podcast, and I would love to answer questions from you. You can go to untangledfaithpodcast.com slash anniversary, and there's a form you can fill out that sends your question to me. There's a link in the show notes if you need one. If you are on social media, I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionik, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. For the second anniversary
1: of the Untangled Faith podcast.